Attention comedy musicians and comedy music fans, the Logan Awards are taking open nominations for Outstanding Comedy Songs and Videos released last year for this year's awards. Did you release a comedy song or music video in 2022, or have a favorite comedy song or video that was released then? Then nominate it for the Logan Awards today. The Logan Awards are essentially the Comedy Music Awards, sponsored annually by the Funny Music Project and are presented in three categories. Outstanding Original Comedy Song, Outstanding Parody Song, and Outstanding Comedy Music Video. If you have a comedy song that was released in 2022, that you'd like to nominate for 2023's awards, head to loganawards.com and click the nominations tab at the top. There is a minimum and maximum of five nominations per person. Hurry, nominations close this year on June 30th. For more details about Logan himself, the awards, and more, check out loganawards.com. Help us commemorate the year's best comedy songs and music videos with a trophy, the way they do with every other form of entertainment. But if you want your favorites to win, you have to nominate them by June 30th. Get your nominations in now at loganawards.com. Brought to you by the I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. And welcome to our Pride episode. That's right. It is LGBT plus Pride Month. And uh, we are celebrating Queer Pride. And that's our first disclaimer right there off the bat. Um, I personally use the term queer to refer to myself or bisexual, or whatever. So if you hear that term on the show, it is a reclaimed term of pride. Uh, and if you're upset by that, sorry, but uh, I don't care. So <laughs> there you go. Um, Heterosexual male here. I'm just along for the ride. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, good ally. Good allyship. Over there in the in the other corner. But uh, this time we have chosen as our Pride episode what people have called the most uh, LGBT positive thing to come out of Disney possibly ever, which is the Owl House. Yeah, this has been a big recommendation for us from a lot of people, and we've been saving it just for this. Yeah, so uh, just so you know, as a uh, spoiler thing, we're only going to be talking about season one as far as plot spoilers. So just season one for the context of this episode. However, there will be spoilers about the uh, sexuality and gender identity of various characters that may not be talked about in season one uh, exactly. So some relationships or sexual identities might come up that are not revealed until later. Um, but as far as just plot stuff, we're only going to be talking about season one. Um, but we're we are kind of focusing more on the queer representation of the Owl House um, and then the plot of 
season one because that is what we watched. Um, this was a first watch for both of us mm-hmm. uh, for this show. This was not a rewatch for either of us. Um, even though it had come highly recommended, it was one that we hadn't gotten around to yet. So this was a first watch for both of us for this show. So you're basically getting our first impressions of Owl House in this. Um, and then our reaction to how they handled queer representation, mainly within the first season, because we've really not gone beyond that in our watching yet. So that's what you're going to get in this episode. Uh, there's all your spoiler warnings and context for that so if we bring up any questions and you're instantly goes that was answered in season two that was answered in season three we don't know <laughs> yeah we don't know we haven't gotten that far yet um so yeah if we're like oh i hope they get into that later and they do good we don't know we haven't seen it yet um but uh let's talk about kind of how the the show uh, got developed and also how the show ended up getting canceled because honestly that is also a fascinating story that has to do mostly with the queer content of the show and changing of regimes at a lot of divisions in Disney at the same time yeah and it's stuff we have covered on the show before in the context of other queer media at Disney because yeah. we talked about this when we talked about Strange World mm-hmm. and how it kind of got screwed over in the marketing. Be- and that movie's kind of gotten back into the news recently. Hey. Yeah, um, it has. And the the thing is, is that we talked about before when Iger was in charge, he greenlit a lot of projects you know just kind of in his and i don't want to make it sound like he sat there and literally was like yes do that show yes do that show but but the ceo of a corporation does kind of set the culture as to what is allowed and what is not the thing is disney is a big company and also is a huge financial backer in terms of donations to politicians Iger being such a pro-gay ally that he would pressure politicians threatening to take away his donations from their campaigns if they didn't uh, come out and being in favor for gay marriage specifically the Obama administration yeah he was he was really big on pressuring Obama during his term to change from like well i'll leave it up to the states to being like no we should have like a a national referendum on that um so Iger, in his term at the company was kind of seeing more movement in allowing gay representation in disney products and we've talked about it before it wasn't great okay it wasn't where it should have been but it was getting there yeah the the quote disney gay yeah um so he was green lighting things 
or allowing things to be greenlit like Strange World, like the Owl House, and everything. The f- well, LeFou being gay in the Beauty and the Beast remake, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, th- things like that were were happening. It was small, but it was movement. And then Iger leaves, and he's replaced with Chapek. Now, Chapek was the opposite. He was maybe not outwardly hostile, but he definitely was not an ally. So, all of a sudden, things that had been seeing movement were getting canceled or not going backwards. The idea was that um, the creator of Owl House, who is her name is Dana Terrace. No stranger to Disney. Yeah. She's, she, she's worked on Gravity Falls, the Rapunzel animated series, the 2017 DuckTales reboot, uh, Amphibia, and uh, Mitchells versus the Machines. She has said publicly, without naming names, that even though Owl House was getting good ratings and, you know, everything was was going very well, that suddenly one guy at Disney decided that the Owl House was not, quote, in the Disney brand anymore. And that's not the first time such a thing has been said about a show on a children's network. Um, granted, it's not the same thing, but I, when I heard that, I, I got instantly reminded of Young Justice on Cartoon Network. Uh, Young Justice, very good ratings, very good reviews, but the show was attracting an older audience. Older teenagers, young adults, and even adults in the 20s, 30s, and 40s who were watching this show and saying, hey, this is actually a pretty good show. Good writing, good, you know, overarching storylines, blah, 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 blah. And Cartoon Network canceled it, even though it was getting good ratings and good in, getting good reviews because it was attracting the wrong audience for their network. If you weren't ages 6 to 12, they didn't want you. And in a way, the Owl House was also similar in that it was attracting an older demographic. It wasn't just little kids watching the show. It was teenagers and young adults and people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s who were watching the show. Granted, it was during the pandemic and there really wasn't much new stuff coming out. It's possible that it was attracting, quote, the wrong audience. The LGBTQ representation in the show, it could be that certain people didn't like those people be watching their show, watching their network. But that's just me. Yeah. And so even though Dana Terrace has not specifically said this was Bob Chapek saying this, kind of everyone who knows anything about Disney is assuming it was Bob Chapek because the timeline works out. The Owl House is not the only thing 
that kind of got the same treatment and the same message that you are not our brand. And I guess right about the same time. Yeah. Amphibia. Amphibia. (laughs) Yeah. And, and like we said before, uh, even though strange world was already finished and headed for release, suddenly there's no marketing for it. There's no press. There's, you know, we follow Disney so closely and we didn't even know when it was coming out. It does seem like if it had not been for the change of leadership at Disney, this show would have continued. But it's also another change in that practically, at least when it comes to the Disney Channel, I am specifically referring to the Disney Channel, any show that had individual episodes and no overarching storyline was getting renewed. Hell, Phineas and Ferb just got renewed, and it it is a pure episodic television show. So yeah, it, that is the other thing about the Owl House is that it does have a continuing storyline. You can't just drop into a random episode. Which is why we're watching the entire season and not just a few episodes. Yeah, we were going to just do some episodes here and there and then we got into it and realized you can't do that with with this one um and although you know it's not like when we watched uh clone wars clone wars and there's a little handy dandy recap at the beginning of the episode that's like in case you missed the last one kids like no it's like you you have to be watching this um so it's very good for binging, but you cannot just drop in and out, which for a, you know, traditional terrestrial uh, television station, not great, but for a streaming service, brilliant. Because that's how you get people watching. We say this as Disney Plus has removed several shows from their library. Oh my goodness, the Disney vault has reared its ugly head again, and everyone is hating it. I saw a tweet, uh, side note here, but I'm going to go with it. I saw a tweet from Kristen Schaal asking, uh, kind of, you know, it was kind of a hypothetical question. I think, but it made me so sad because she was saying, does anybody know how to record from a streaming service onto a DVD? Because they're removing a show she was on, the Mysterious Benedict Society. And she doesn't have any other access to it. And she was like, I I want to know how to be able to show this thing that I'm a part of that I'm very proud of to my own kids someday. And they're a little too young for it. And I mean, we've talked before how we know that so well, because it's happened to friends of ours. Yeah. You know, that they're, they've just watched their work disappear because some douchebag CEO is like, eh, remove that. Like in the use we want, get rid of it. Yeah. And and now it's happening to, you know, and it's so sad to watch people go like, well, you know, and they're, they've never put it out on physical media. They're probably never going to. And this is why I will always say that saving your favorite media is always the ethical choice. Um, 
But back to Owl House. I am going to put up a a mild trigger warning here. There is no way to talk about the Owl House without occasionally mentioning Harry Potter. And I'm sorry about that because I don't want to give that any more oxygen right now. But Owl House is in some ways a reaction to Harry Potter in a way of we are trying to reclaim this space for all the people who felt rejected by what the author has become. Mm. And it is very obvious if you watch the show. So I want to go out and, and point out now that while the queer themes of Owl House grow in how obvious they are, throughout the series this is not a case of retconning as it was in Harry Potter Um, and while some of the characters are only officially um, recognized for their sexuality outside the text this is also a case of them being canceled prematurely and those storylines not being allowed to play out. Dana Terrace was very, very open with both Disney and her writers, her staff, and the actors portraying the characters as to what the sexuality and gender identity of their characters were from the beginning so even if it was never brought up in the show she was open with everyone that these were created to be various forms of LGBT whatever characters So, if we refer to a character as having a specific sexuality or gender identity, and you've seen the show and you're like, well, I'm I'm not sure I specifically got that, it's because the creator and the actors portraying it and the writers of the show have said, no, we, we did that from the outset, that was what we had in mind. And a lot of times they have said, we never got around to that story or being able to say that outright because we got a truncated, you know, runtime. Because if you're not familiar with the Owl House, they were told they were canceled. They fought back. And the third season was three 44-minute episodes to wrap up basically everything they had ever planned for the show. Um, so, so an entire, an entire 20 ish episode season has to be condensed into three hours. I mean, that could have been multiple seasons of story. We don't even know. It's possible. Um, but yeah, they had to come up with an ending for their entire world 
I believe there is a time skip at the end, which would have put them a couple of seasons ahead if they had continued. Yeah. Um, but they had to fight to get even that. Um, so there was a lot of interpersonal stuff that was cut. Um, and we'll, we can kind of get into that as we talk more about the characters specifically, but the, um, the creator has talked about it at length. The writers have talked about it and the actors have talked about, um, in a lot of cases like, oh yeah, no, that was, that, that was brought up to me like, you know, from the outset. So this isn't like the author of Harry Potter just tweeting out on a whim years later. Oh yeah, I always meant that character to be gay. I just never got around to it. Like, no. Th this was planned and baked in from the beginning. Um, and you can find it in, you know, interviews and everything else. Um, and a lot of the Owl House is based off Dana Terrace's own journey through her own sexuality because she is a bisexual woman and basing the, the, this fantasy world on her on her discovering herself. Yeah. Um, she identifies as bisexual. She has based a lot of the characters on her own friends or relatives who are uh, from various sexualities or gender identities. Um, she is a strong supporter of the trans community. Uh, she, you know, so she has basically put her friends and family into this series. Um, and that is what she was doing. And she fought with Disney, even under Iger, who was much more accepting to have these themes in her show. And it was very impressive what she was able to do. So it was, it was just such a shame that in the transition of the short, brutal run of Chapek, that, you know, this was one of the, the things that kind of ended up uh, being on the chopping block. So uh, let's let's kind of get into what the series is about. Yeah, so we got our main character in Luce. And Luce, uh, you know, uh, yeah, cisgender male, but I'm also Latino. So we have a Latina main character we have Luce, who is very much into the young adult fantasy novels, and she gets a little too excited when talking about them. She's a too, you know, she's a, she's she's a, she's a little a little extra. I think I think saying that she's a little extra is 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 uh, shortchanging her. Yeah, <laughs> she's a lot extra. She's a lot extra. And, she's you know, super duper extra, and we love her for it. Yeah, I mean, she's going very well, and, and, and she, you know, we, she, we start the the series of her doing a book report on her young adult fantasy novel with props and fireworks to simulate the explosions in the book, which gets her in trouble at school. 
when I was watching that that kind of opening scene of losing school, I was like, oh my god, this is so me. This is what it was like living with me as a kid, wasn't it? Because I never brought like fireworks or anything to school, but that like I have all the props for my book report was so me as a kid. Oh my goodness, I was so extra with every one of my book reports. Like, I had sound effects, I had, like, puppet shows, I had, like, <laughs> oh my goodness. Like, little little Kiki with her book reports was an entire show and a half. Oh my god. Yeah, and this gets her in trouble in school, and to the point where her mother is saying, you know, I'm, I'm getting tired. Uh, of your extraness. I'm going to send you to summer camp so you can be normal. You oh are... my goodness, what was the name of the camp? Because it was so depressing. I... Camp Reality Check. That's what it was. It was Camp Reality Check. <laughs> Fit in the box. <laughs> oh or my no, god. No, no. Think inside the box. <laughs> Think inside the box. Oh. So, yeah, it's a camp where you send a a nonconformist to convert them into normality. C convert. Con convert. Yeah. Like, that's, 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 that is just slugging the point into your head. Yeah. I mean, good on you, Dana, but... Oh, that that hurt. Yeah, and it's it's so sad because you know that the series kind of opens with, you know, I mean, the mom is is very loving. You know, we got we got nothing against the mom because it is a really good portrayal of this. I mean, we don't know what happened to her dad, but you know, she's she's just living with the the single mom. You know. You know the mom's trying her best and all, but Luz just feels so bad. And you see her, like, cleaning out her room of all her favorite things so she can try to be the good girl. Yeah, her mom is pretty much t telling her to throw away her life. Everything that makes her her is in this box that her mom is telling her to put in the trash can so she can go to camp to be normal. Like, all her little, you know, dragon sculptures and her favorite fantasy book, which is about a witch. I mean, you know, big Harry Potter YA vibes, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, she's got it all in this box and she's putting it in the trash. And like, oh, I was like, I wanted to cry at the... You want to give this kid a hug? Yeah, I was like, I wanted to hug her and be like, it's okay, you'll find your tribe, you know, like, oh... Go to a convention, kid. You'll find your people. Yeah, I know. That's how we. That's how we found each other. Oh God. Yeah, I know. It was like, oh, poor baby. Yeah. And things go south when we see the character that would eventually be known as Albert grabbing Luce's belongings and taking it to this old shack to give to his master, Ida the Owl Lady. And she follow, uh, Luce follows Albert into the into this glowing door, and into the world of the Boiling Isles, an island 
a series of islands made from the carcass of a dead titan. That because the titan was magical, all living beings that were born on that island uh, also receive magical abilities. Definitely, and it's it's definitely when she finds out that she's on the boiling out, it's definitely a we're not in Kansas anymore Toto moment. I mean, it's it's very much Lion Witch in the Wardrobe kind of feel. You know, you step through the magical doorway and here you are in the magical fantasy land. Yeah. And she loves it because she she can finally get to live out her her fantasy, the fantasies that she'd been reading in her young adult magic novels. And she learns very quickly that, yeah, this, quote, reality is not like the novels. Like, in her, the next episode, she straight up gets the Chosen One quest from this wizard that all, all goes wrong. Like, every trope of the Chosen One hero's journey all crumbled up in this 22-minute episode. And she has to learn the hard way that there is no chosen one. There is no savior of the masses kind of deal. And she's got to, she, she can't wait for her destiny to come to her. Ida even tells her she has to form her own destiny. Well, let's go back to that first episode real quick because, you know, she gets caught up in, in Ida's, you know, little thing. She finds out that Ida is the most wanted criminal on the island for not conforming. You know, it's an authoritarian government under the emperor and Ida is basically breaking all the rules. Um and you find out over the course of the season that it's like you have to be in one specific track of magic and when, you know, that's under a coven. You know, so there are like nine covens and you have to pick whether you want to use like plant magic or fire magic or, you know, potions or whatever. Abominations! Abominations. Um, yeah. And so this is kind of, once again, a reaction about the Harry Potter house system. They even make jokes about the, the sorting, sorting hat. hat. Yeah. You know. Isn't there an easy way to, isn't, don't you have a, a magic piece of clothing that can decide for me? Yeah, we did. It didn't, didn't go well and it started eating students. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they make a lot of jokes about the ridiculousness of the, the Harry Potter world, but they also show the the horribleness of that system you know of the like decide who you are at your teenage years you know loose is supposed to be like what like 13 or 14 or something come around there and um her peers are supposed to be a similar age you know when when we meet her eventual friends it's very much a decide who you're gonna be before your brain is even fully formed, which is such a great, you know, it's such a great commentary on how we do things. In the real world, yeah. Yeah. I used to know someone who had a job in a relatively new field, and they used to say to me, they said to me that they thought it was so cruel that you know, teachers and whatever would, would ask them, like, what what do you want to be when you grow up? Because the job they eventually ended up doing literally did not exist when they were that age. It had not been invented yet. So how could they see what they were going to be doing 
when they were in their 30s or 40s because the technology did not exist for what would be their eventual career. That at least is kind of one thing you can say. But also, like, people just change, you know? Most of us can say, hopefully, at least, that we are not the same person we were at 14 that we are at 30 or that we are at 40. Mm -hmm. So to sit a kid down and be like, hey, you have to decide by the time you graduate high school what you want to do with your entirety of your life until retirement, if you even get retirement, is really sick. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the way this show portrays that because it's like, you have to pick a coven and when you do, they literally lock the ability to do every other type of magic except the one your coven does away from you. So if you choose abominations, they put a spell on you that says you can't do potions anymore. You can't do plant-based magic or illusion-based yeah, magic. Yeah, and it's like, you know, once you have this job, for better or worse in terminology, you know, they magically take away the ability for you to ever switch careers, you know? It's like... The only way to use all forms of magic is to be in the Emperor's Coven. Yeah, and you're basically... Again, real-world terms, you're basically a cop or in the military. You work directly for the Emperor. And they say in that world that when the Emperor came to power 50 years before the show is set, that he said that it was evil, basically, uh, and wrong and against nature for people to be using all forms of magic and that he alone had that right. Because he speaks to the Titan. Yeah, because he can speak to the Titan. You know, so basically, I speak to God and therefore I am able to have all that power and everybody else has to do what I say. Boy, does this sound familiar. Yeah, we're just not subtle at all. Yeah, this is not a subtle show in, in its uh, framing here. Um, and so he sets up this authoritarian government. And anyone who doesn't agree with him is sent to the conformatorium. Again, not a subtle show. In that first episode, we, we see that Ida gets arrested and sent to the conformatorium and Luz wants to to break her out and in doing so Luz sees a bunch of other people that have been sent to the conformatorium for ridiculous things like writing fanfic about vegetables <laughs> um, or a, a demon that eats his own eyes yeah and uh which by the way those those two characters the, Come uh, back, yeah. Well, well, but they're also voiced by our uh, our our Magiswords buddies, uh, Gray Griffin and uh, Aaron Hansen, hmm. uh, who were both in Magiswords. So Magiswords, shout out, yay! Hey. And they they both uh, they both voice uh, several characters throughout the uh, the show. Uh, 
Aaron ends up uh, voicing the uh, what's the little demon the Snaggleback or whatever that shows yeah. up in a couple episodes and ends up playing the Crom uh, Disco Ball. Disco Ball. <laughs> but yeah, he he shows up in quite a lot of episodes. As does Gray, who does a lot of uh, background voices through throughout the season and series in general. Um, but yeah, but. Uh, Luz says what is basically the overarching theme of the series, which is that us weirdos need to stick together. And that is right there in the first episode, and it keeps showing up throughout the first season, and I think it probably just comes up throughout the series from what I've heard. Um, that that's basically the, the point of the series. Is that weirdos have to stick together? Before we get going, now that we have this this point, I want to talk about just just for a moment. My favorite character in this show so far, King of Demons. First name King, last name of Demons. King uh, is the best. Oh my goodness! The fact that there's no King Plushy is heartbreaking because I want a King Plushy and I want to sit him next to Grogu and I want these two to cause chaos. Yes. I mean, just the best, the absolute best. Um, so much amazing energy from this little dude. It is really cool because uh, he is uh, voiced by the creator of Gravity Falls, Alan Hurts, who at yeah. this time was in a relationship with Dana Terrace. Oh, I didn't know that. But yeah, um, yeah but Alex Hirsch uh, voices King and uh, Hootie as well. Hootie the, is the... Uh, the door. <laughs> the the door and the basic spirit of the Owl House itself. But King is just the absolute best. I don't really know if you can say enough about just how the best he is. Because everything about him is just a vibe. He is chaos incarnate, and I love him for it. <laughs> like, he wants to rule, and then he has no idea how to rule, and then he just bow before me, Cretan, while also trying to trying to figure out these feelings he feels for Ida and Lutz, that he does care about these characters. But, but also, also, he wants belly rubs and snacks. So he is a cat. I mean, he's got more, like, dog energy, I think. He's kind of, like, a little bit of both. Like, he's got the, like, I want you all to bow before me energy of a cat, but then he also wants snuggles and treats and belly rubs like a dog. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's just kind of the best of both worlds, you know? <laughs> I am king and queen, best of both things! Yes, um, they get arrested in the first episode because they're trying to get his his crown back, and then you find out like it's just a Burger King paper crown. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't even know this, but you know the crown is that important to King, and he, she does care for King, so she wants to make him happy. Yeah, it, it's just the best, and he he's just such a cute little baby. But call he, him a baby. <laughs> but but he'd get mad and squeal at you if if you called him a baby. The squeal actually done by Dana Terrace. He is so cute, though. L like, like he, when he gets mad, he does this little squeal, and that squeal is Dana Terrace doing that squeal. And it's also Ida's favorite thing in the world. 
that squeal. She she absolutely loves it and it makes her laugh. But yeah, he he is he is absolutely the best thing. And if you love cute uh animal sidekick characters, King will immediately be your favorite thing in the world. Um, and a reason alone to watch this show. Luce is a dress away from being a Disney princess, you're saying. I mean, kind of, yeah. Um, but the, the cool thing about Luz, okay, if we're going to talk about, like, queerness in this show, um, the cool thing about Luz is that Luz is the Disney princess who doesn't wear a dress. Like, she has a feminine enough style. But her main outfit in the show is, like, jean shorts and a hoodie and all. But when she dresses formally, like in the Grom episode, it's kind of half masculine, half feminine. Yeah, she's got a tuxedo top and a tutu. And leggings. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it is a feminine style. But it's a very genderqueer kind of feminine style. Um, it's slightly more androgynous. Um, which I like because I, I also kind of like those kind of styles personally for myself, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's it's very bisexual energy. So, you know, with like <laughs> Luz being canonically bisexual, it's like, yes, that that fits very much with bisexual energy. It's like, please go off, Queen. I love you. Like in the second episode, she talks about meeting a, a, a love interest and there's this masculine, muscular boy that she kind of fawns over. But by the end, she does end up with a girlfriend. Yeah, and it's it's fine because you see her talk kind of equally in fantasy about like, well, you know, there's this prince in the books and whatever. And she does kind of default like when she first talks to Amity, who, spoiler alert, you know, that's that's her eventual girlfriend in the show. When she first talks to Amity, she kind of defaults to, oh, you know, you probably think he's hot or whatever. Like, she just assumes a heteronormative thing out of Amity because, yeah, that's kind of what you do in in the world, mm -hmm. you know? Most people you're going to meet are probably going to be heterosexual, so, you know. It's like, here's Amity, the popular girl. She's probably straight, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then, spoiler alert, no, a Amity's a lesbian, you know? So, it's rather fascinating how that kind of develops. Because, yeah, when we see Luz in, the, in that, that quest you were talking about, the Chosen One quest... Mm -hmm. Where it turns out that she's being tricked by a demon that wants to eat her and live off of her fantasies and whatever. So when that demon crafts that that fantasy, it is an extremely heteronormative chosen one fantasy. You're a girl, you must want the big strong prince. 
And so it's the big, strong prince, you know, with the six-pack abs and the here, let me take my shirt off for you, you know? I mean, yeah, it does work. Cause she's into it. She's she's into it, you know? It's like she is uh, also into men, you know? But it is interesting that that's what the demon pulls from as the the first go, you know? Um, and it is a really interesting commentary on that's the chosen one narrative. Oh, you go, you save the world, and your reward is an opposite gender partner. Luz breaks that by choosing the chosen family at the end of that. You know, she has the ability to stay in the fantasy and be the chosen one and have the prince and, you know, and instead she breaks that and goes to her chosen family of Ida and King, which is the choice that a lot of queer people have to make. Like, do you choose the heteronormative fantasy where you... And, you know, for bisexual people, it's also a little more fraught because if a bisexual person ends up in a hetero-seeming relationship, we have the opportunity to hide almost and deny, like, you know, well, and, I mean, look and at me. Also, and, and, and there's also blast back from that community, you know, or you're not a real gay because you married a man or you married a woman. Yeah. We we have bisexual friends that did end up in heteronormative marriages and they had to fight to to be seen that like that, you know? Yeah, and it, I mean it happens all the time just cuz that's statistically the way it works out, you know, if you're open to a straight seeming relationship and you're open to a gay seeming relationship, statistically most of your partners are probably going to end up, you know. So the thing is, though, is that she does have the ability to just kind of play out this fantasy of like, oh, look, I'm I'm the, the normal, special chosen one person. Or she can go back to this kind of messy chosen family dynamic. And it's a harder life, but it's the true life. Mm -hmm. And right from the start, Luz is like, no, 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 I don't, I don't want the fantasy. I thought I wanted the fantasy, but the the messy reality is a lot better. And this plays up later on when she's in that wizard duel with Amity. Ida wants to cheat. But Luz doesn't want to cheat. She wants to win it with her own skills, even though she cannot produce magic naturally like the witches can. Yeah, they they say that the, the witches' magic on the aisles comes from a literally gland. a gland that grows on their heart that produces like a magical substance that lets them interact with the magic on the island. And Luz, being a human, does not have this gland. So Luz, in a really fascinating thing, discovers that she can draw 
glyphs on paper and tap them and they produce magic and over the course of the season she discovers she can kind of combine them in different ways and they do different things yeah and it's considered a lost art among the witches because again it's been how 50 plus years Ida does say that there used to be an old way for witches to do magic prior to just using this gland in their bodies, but it's a lost art. It's forgotten, and Luz is rediscovering this lost art by writing the glyphs. She first sees the glyph by using her phone to record Ida performing magic, and then she pauses it just at the right time to see a glyph in her, in her magic spell. And throughout at least this first season, she starts seeing glyphs in various parts of the island. Like, she sees a snowflake, and there's a glyph in it. She sees a plant, and there's a glyph in it. And she starts writing, you know, drawing these glyphs to do different magical abilities. So she can do magic. It's just going to have to be a different way. And it's a nice way to kind of have that representation of, I guess, a learning disability? Yeah, you can learn to do the same things just in a different way. Yeah, um, a lot of people read Luz as an ADHD character, which, as someone with ADHD myself, uh, does kind of hit right for me. Mm. I- I'm not sure if that was intentional on the part of the creators or what, but... It does seem like an interesting disability accommodation, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you can still do the thing that other people do. You just need a, you know, some some kind of extra Assist- tool. Assistive Assistance, device. Yeah. I know? mean, it's even to the point where, uh, we're going to be talking about it in a minute, but Principal Bump of the Magic School is impressed that a human can use drawing magic which he has never seen before yeah so it's really fascinating that there are moments i mean there are moments of outright disability representation in show as well but this is kind of a more subtle version of disability representation um i have watched a few episodes into season two and there are other characters that become disabled that eventually have to uh they become magically disabled and they eventually have to use Luz's way of doing magic and so it becomes a more obvious disability analogy Mm -hmm. um further into the series but um it is at least for Luz, it is like being born with a disability compared to the rest of the people on the island. Like you were you were born without the particular, you know, anatomy to do a, a specific thing. So here is your assistance device. Um, and it is fascinating the, the way that they use it. And that the way that Luz is able to figure out a way for her to be equal to the the power level 
of a lot of the other characters. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned it. Let's talk about magic school. Hexide school for witches and demons. Where Luz meets her, her friends, Willow, Gus, and Amity. Yeah, they're all, Willow and Gus are kind of the 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 outcast. You know, Willow especially. She is a late bloomer with her magic. She, they call her half a witch. Because she can't do certain types of magic. And the magic she can do is not good. And we very quickly find out that the reason she's not good at magic is because she's been put in the wrong track. Yep. She's her in, her she's parents in. want her to be in Abominations magic. And she is a plant magic witch. So yeah. That's it. That that's it. That's 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 the only that's the only thing. And very very quickly she is allowed although it's very difficult. You know, she has to fight for her right to party with plants, but she is the worst student in the abominations track. Everybody makes fun of her. She's failing every course, but after an incident where she's helping lose and the principal sees her use plant magic to a level that most people can't, uh, he allows her to go into the plant magic track instead. She switches majors. Yeah, she switches majors. And she becomes the star student in that track because she has a natural affinity for that type of magic. And, like, at least in the beginning parts of the of the season, her biggest bully is her former friend, Amity. As we learned that Amity and Willow were childhood friends, but because of Willow's lack of ability in, in Abomination's magic... Uh, oh, no, excuse me. In Willow's lack of abominations magic, Amity is kind of... Originally, we, we are led to believe that she voluntarily gives up her friendship with Willow because she is a blight. Amity blight. She is a blight, and blights only associate with the higher-ranked witches and not the low-class trash. But then as the season go, goes on, we learn that it wasn't her call. She has very manipulative parents that force her to end that friendship. Either you end that friendship or we're going to make sure she never gets into, into school and never becomes a full witch. And Amity also gets bullied by her older siblings. Who are much better than her at magic. We find out that Amity works very, very hard to be as good as she is, but she is not really as skilled as everyone thinks. She spends a lot of time in her off time practicing and practicing with a practice wand. Yeah, that's we, we never see magic wands anywhere else in the in at least in this season. So it is assumed that using magic with wands is kind of frowned upon, maybe socially, since all of the witches we see are just drawing a circle with their finger in the air and that becomes magic. 
So Amity, in order to learn new spells, needs a training wand to help her learn those spells before she can do it without the wand. Yeah, and apparently the wands are are so powerful at channeling magic or they have magic inside them somehow that even Luz can use one. So apparently they contain magic in themselves and they don't pull magic from the witch directly. And uh, they're battery powered. <laughs> uh, yeah, they they have something on the side that looks like a a battery uh thing, but um it is uh it is really funny. But these characters of Willow and Amity, I gotta tell you, I was told to watch this show because it's like, oh, you know, the the main character is bisexual and she ends up with a girlfriend that she meets at magic school. And you get introduced to Willow and Amity at the same time, basically. Along with uh, Gus. Well, you know, Gus shows up just just a, a few scenes later, but that first scene, you know, Luz runs into Willow in the forest and Amity, you know, she sees Willow and Amity interacting um, as Amity bullies Willow. And I immediately had the thought of Luz should end up with Willow because Willow is the better character. That's but what I thought. they're probably going to make her end up with the skinny, pretty bully. Yeah, that... And that's what they end up doing. They end up... That's who ends up being her girlfriend. I mean, they end up showing, like, well, she's not really a bully because she's, like, forced into it. But it's like, okay, that's an explanation but it's not necessarily an excuse I, I you you and i are on the same wavelength here i was thinking the same thing watching this show and it's like they try their best to make amity a sympathetic character but at the same time she doesn't really stop the bullying until like after grom yeah, she spends most of the first season even after you start understanding where she's coming from and that she's bending the social expectation from her parents and everything and all and she'll she'll walk up to the lose and be like hey i'm sorry i was a real coward in there and i should have said something and it's like okay you know you're doing the wrong thing and you're still doing the wrong thing and you're still hanging around with your mean girlfriends and, and it's like screw off girl yeah, what, I feel what like, is the use of you? I, I'm I'm the same way. It's like they, they want to make Amity a sympathetic character, but it's like, no. And and the entire time, here is adorable. I mean, this girl is so cute. It's like adorable Willow, who is like super talented, super cute, super funny. Has a lot and in common with Luz. Has so much in common with Luz. They have such a good rapport. They hang out all the time. They are, like, the best of friends. And, like, 
why are you not going for her? Because, and you're going to be like, well, Willow is straight and stuff. No, she is pansexual. Willow is pansexual. Like, eventually she ends up with, like, a non-binary character or something that she has a crush on later and everything. But it's like, okay, whatever. But, like, these two are made for each other. Some of these fans for this. Because, like, there's a really big Lose Amity shipping group, I think. But it's like, I'm sorry. I cannot take this couple seriously. At least in season one. Maybe maybe there is something that happens later that's like, oh, yeah, they were perfect for each other all along and I just didn't see it. Okay, but at least in season one, I am like, why are these... Why why is this the canonical couple later? Amity is the worst. Yeah. And Willow is just so the best through the entire first season. Like, maybe something happens and she's, like... Amity almost erases Willow's memory because she doesn't want her mean girl friends to find out that her and Willow were friends when they were kids. Yeah, she totally turns Willow's memory to pudding in one episode... Because she tries to erase a memory of them because she's ashamed of what she did. Like, the episode starts with, uh, I forget this, three-eyed mean girl, I, I don't remember her name, and says, oh, oh, Amity, weren't you and Willow friends once? And no, no, I was never friends with her. I'm, I'm a blight. I only associate with high-class witches. So she has to erase any evidence of Amity and Willow ever being friends, and it causes Willow to lose all of her memories. Yeah, like, it's it's so funny because, like, there's, like, a whole... I love the way they do it because it's, like, a whole thing of, like, they're in a class, or loses in a class where she has to take, like, memory Polaroids of somebody's memory. Taking, <laughs> but, out, taking out somebody's memory and looking at them, I feel that's from something else, too. It's got to be a reference. Yeah, I know. I mean, because it's so making fun of both, like, one, how horribly invasive Hogwarts is, and two, how horribly dangerous for the students Hogwarts is. Yeah. (laughs) Because they do this whole thing of, like, the teacher is like, yes, take your friend's memory Polaroids and put them up for the entire class to see. And it's stuff that's so embarrassing. It's like, oh, you had a bad hair year like I did. And like all this kind of stuff. It's just like all these like weird, embarrassing memories of Willow being like... But if you do anything to the pictures, it will ruin the memory. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, if you you, like touch the pictures wrong or anything, like it'll erase their memory and could scramble their brain. And it's like... Why are you doing this? <laughs> so, yeah, I I love it when they point out things of like, you know, yeah, this this fantasy world is horrible. Why would you be doing this to people? Um, but yeah, and and so of course Amity slips in and tries to burn a single picture and then of course 
the flames get out of control and burn all of Willow's memories and turns her into like absolute pudding. And she's just like, hi, I'm Willow. Who's everybody else? You know, the whole point of that though, is like Luz sees what a horrible person Amity is and she still falls for her anyway, which like. And Amity has the cojones to call Luz the bully. I know, right? Projection yeah. much? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I that's the only thing that really kind of annoyed me about season one. Was, I was like, you have this sweet little cinnamon roll who is adorable right next to you, and you're going for the bully with the bad roots? Like, Yeah, your roots are showing, Amity. Yeah, why is that? Like, for the first couple episodes, I was like, is she wearing, like, a little, like, tiara or something? And then I was like, no, she's just got, like, a really bad dye job. Like, it's a magical island and you can't cover up those roots, girl? What is wrong with you? Because <laughs> we see the, 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 the picture is of Amity with brown hair, and for the most of the season, she has green hair. Yeah. So, yeah, really, really bad dye job for this magical island. And, of course, Willow, she's the one... She's the chubby girl in glasses. So, of course, passing her over for the popular skinny girl. Yeah, it's not a good look, Luz. I mean, I'm not saying, like, you you like what you like and everything, but it's like, Amity is just the worst in this whole season. Until maybe about the Grom episode. Like, if they'd introduced Amity in the Grom episode... You could be like, oh, that's a cute couple. But, like, everything she does up until then is kind of just awful. Yeah, so we have Grom, which is their version of prom. And, you know, speaking of this school is horrible, there's a demon that lives in the bottom of the school that comes out once a year and will project everyone's worst fears. So the Grom king or queen has to fight the demon and and uh, and comet for another year. But that and in, in the episode it's it's Amity that's chosen for Grom Queen. So she has to fight the Grom. But Lou steps in and said, I'll fight the Grom in your place because I know you know something is bothering you. Something is so you are afraid of something so traumatic that you can't face it. I'll face it. Even though Luz can barely do magic, and with only do, even though Luz can only do magic with her glyphs, and she is nowhere near the level that Amity is. Amity even says, "You're nowhere near ready with training, but we don't have any more time." And the thing is, is like if the Grom isn't defeated, it will get loose, and everybody on the island will have to face their worst fear. It seems kind of important, but also I like that on this this island, the Grom is a basically a student sacrifice. Yeah, and they decide to hold a big party because the principal wants to throw a party. That's really why it's a it's a dance because the principal wants to throw a party. So the rest of it looks like a human prom, but just in the middle of it, a demon awakes and somebody has to go fight it. And then once that's over, they go back to the dance party. Yeah. So 
they try and lose by showing her things that she's afraid of, such as human-looking animals and dude bros on the internet. Which I I like that one of the things that the demon shows blues is a guy in a fedora saying milady. That's <laughs> yeah. like and then Luz's retort is like, no, your 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 bad faith arguments. Yeah, she she's like comes back at it with like, your bad faith argument is is you know horrible and I'm not falling for it or something like that. It's like it's such a good line. <gasps> But her real big fear is her mother. Both in that her mother is kind of forced her to conform to, to normal society, and also is that she's been lying to her mother this entire time because her mother thinks she's at camp. And not in another world where magic exists. Yeah, she we we kind of glossed over that, but she has been using the times that Ida will open the door between worlds to go hunt for human objects to use the bits of cell service or Wi-Fi uh, to send messages to her mom and be like, you know, hey, camp is fine, making lots of friends, love you, and, you know. I do like how she has her cell phone charger Going out the going out that door to the human world. <laughs> yeah, that is that is kind of cool. I also love how at one point she teaches King about the internet, and he uses it to watch cat videos, and he's like, "Yes, fight, fight to the death," and it's just two cats being like super adorable. <laughs> but we get Amity's greatest fear is rejection and her greatest not just any rejection but rejection from loose yeah loose doesn't see it because it shows up as like a shadowy figure being rejected by the the grom date and loose figures that out but the figure never fully materializes yeah, all episode long, Amity is carrying around this letter. Now you assume that she wants to give this letter to someone. And then when the Grom starts forming, she grabs the letter. The Grom grabs the letter and rips it in half. Yeah, and so Luz only sees the part of the letter that says, will you go to prom, uh, will you go to Grom with me? But the audience sees the part of the letter that, that shows it was addressed to Luz. But, of course, the part that really got everybody talking uh, was the fact that Luz, without understanding the, the full context, says, like, well, if you're afraid of rejection, then I won't, I won't reject you. You know, whoever it was, they don't matter. I'll go to ground with you. I'll go to ground with you. Let's dance. And they dance in front of the Grom, and that's what defeats the Grom is because they they work together. They use their respective magical abilities to defeat the Grom. Yeah, and also their fears go away because they're together. They're together, and you know Amity wasn't rejected. 
And it turns out she wasn't rejected by Luz, which was the, the real point. And Luz is, you know, in a place where she's accepted and, you know, um, makes her forget about the the fear with her mom and, you know, the conformity and stuff. And that's what, what ends up defeating the Grom. But, of course... This is the first major thing in the series that's, like, explicitly, like, gay. Yeah, like, two, pe- two people do not look e- at each other like that without something going on. Yeah, and also, of course, we get to see the letter as the audience that shows that Amity specifically wanted to invite Luz to prom. You know. And for the rest of the season, anytime Amity is around Luz or Luz is mentioned, she blushes. Yeah, and it's very obvious that she has a romantic crush on Luz. The thing is, though, is that there are hints to the, the queer nature of the series more throughout because you see, like, Willow has two fathers. Yep. Um, so whenever, you know, you see her, her parents mentioned in either flashbacks or when she gets in trouble at school or whatever, you know, it's her two dads that show up. Um, Ida, in the um, episode where they do the... Uh, Grudge B match pulls out a a box of personal possessions and it has a bisexual pride rainbow on it. So, you know, it's not the most obvious thing in the world, but it is not exactly hidden. The Grom episode features several same gender couples dancing among the crowd like we said the 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 first season while dana terrace was very upfront with disney that she wanted to put in gay themes she wasn't sure probably how far she could push this because this was a first season and you never know if you're going to get picked up Mm. but when they did the first season disney liked it so much that they went ahead and greenlit a second season before the first season had even premiered which shows a lot of faith, at least in the older regime. And we've seen other shows like this that, I mean, DuckTales was another one. Mighty Magistros was another one where the second season was greenlit before the first season ever aired. And then there's a, reg- a regime change and all, all bets are off at that point. Yeah. The thing is, they believed in it enough to even give the second season more episodes. Yep. Season one is 19 episodes. Season two is 21 episodes. So... I'm sure that 
Dana Terrace at that point felt like, okay, we can we can go full tilt on this because instead of it being like, okay, it's a one-sided crush and we had them dance a little bit and there's some Disney gay background characters. Season two is just like, okay, lose an amity or a couple. That's that they're they're girlfriends, you know. This is a romantic relationship. Um, and they got they they got more characters with more actual relationships. You know, they introduced non-binary uh, characters, one of which was played by a trans actor. And that character even was a uh, romantic uh, interest for Ida. So you have things like Ida being confirmed bisexual, um, Lilith, who we haven't talked about yet, but we we'll probably will in a second, who is Ida's sister, uh, Dana Terrace has said is aromantic and asexual um so there's representation for that community as well um willow is pansexual um there's a character that gets uh introduced later on people thought that that was going to be a gay love interest for gus and it seems that that never turned out that way. And people are still debating whether or not that was people reading into it or that was a problem with the series being cut short. Uh, I really don't know about that. I don't think Dana Terrace has ever specifically talked about that. I, basically, the feeling in the fandom, from what I can tell, and from what many people pitched this series to me as, was that the creator was like, oh, you're going to cancel me? Not only is this going to be the queer series I imagined, it's going to be the queerest series you have ever seen. <laughs> and just kind of went all out on as much representation as she could put in the final uh, episodes. And I kind of understand the 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 online uh, the online want for these sh for this show to continue for this show to return. It seems that on every Disney social media post, there's at least one person saying "Bring back the Owl House," which kind of does get annoying because the person running the social media page does not have that power. Yeah, I mean, honestly, they're just a minimum wage paid person like the rest of us mm -hmm. <laughs> who has to put up whatever, you know, stuff is, you know, for the day. If anything, the key to get the series back is to get the viewing numbers up. Like I've said before, you know, they brought back the Proud Family. They brought back, they're bringing back Phineas and Ferb. So maybe... Just maybe if the viewing numbers for the Owl House uh, are at a certain level that now that, you know, Iger is back in charge or whoever, that they might consider bringing back the show. But uh, Dana Terrace, unfortunately, is no longer at Disney as she has moved on to other projects. 
So that would involve her coming back to Disney to do this show. Which, I mean, at the moment, Iger is back at Disney. Mm -hmm. Um, We do not know who will replace Iger when he leaves again in a couple of years. Here's the thing. If you like a show that's on streaming, one of the best ways to get the numbers up is as you're doing stuff around the house. Put that show on in the background as you're doing dishes or whatever and just keep streaming the show. I mean, when 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 Disney Plus lost, they, that's what they, a lot of people were doing for stuff like X-Men and Gargoyles. And yes, they are bringing back the X-Men. And, so. and Gargoyles. So. Yeah, so... <laughs> So yeah, and, and I'm I'm not kidding. Um, it, it is it is a it is a great way to get streaming numbers up. Is you know as you're doing stuff a- around the house during the day, put that on as your background noise or whatever as you're cleaning as you're doing. If you if you love a show, put that put that on. Don't don't put on you know music or or whatever. Put on your favorite show that you want to get the numbers up for. Um, it has been shown to work, honestly, for other shows. That um, I mean, HBO Max brought back Young Justice because yeah. people were were watching that show on streaming. So don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. The thing is, is like when when people talk about doing campaigns and stuff, that that is that is the way to get the the streaming numbers up is what they look at more than you know who's posts. tweeting what hashtag or whatever. It's are, are you are you watching things on our service? So and yeah, sadly, that's also the re- what how they decide what shows leave streaming services yeah so if you like a show talk your friends into doing it talk your you know that's that's what it is that's how they decide um since you mentioned it let's talk about Ida and Lilith yeah the sisters Ida is Ida has a curse upon her that at some points during Randomly, usually it's after a large use of her magical abilities. She will turn into an owl demon. That's how she gets the name, the Owl Lady. And she doesn't know who cursed her. She doesn't know why. She's had this curse for ever since she was a teenager. And because of this and because of her refusal to conform into a coven, she is kind of public enemy number one among the emperor. And the lead of the Emperor's Coven is Ida's sister, Lilith. So, I mean, that you have two sisters. One is a cop, one is a criminal. And Lilith has made it her mission to bring her sister in because the Emperor has said, I will cure your sister if she joins our coven. To which Lilith has explained this to Ida several times over. And Ida is still like, nah, covens aren't my thing. I'll find, a, I'll find my own cure for her. For this cure, for this curse, she has a potion that she drinks to keep the curse at bay, and we find out over the season that it is not working as well as it used to. 
she keeps having to um, take drink more of this more, potion. Yeah, drink more and more of it to get the same effect. And it is looking like before long she will just permanently be the owl. And she keeps on having this recurring nightmare, this memory of someone coming into her room and giving her the curse, but she can never see who this person is. All we see are these glasses. What we find out towards the end of the season is the person that cursed her was her own sister. Because while Lilith is the older sister, Ida is the better magic user. And Ida has always bested Lilith in every competition they've ever had. When they're both at, at Hexide, they both apply to be part of the Emperor's Coven, but oh, there's only one free spot, so the two sisters have to have to duel for that one spot. Lilith, knowing that in a straight fight, she will lose against Ida, so she attempts to cheat by throwing a curse onto her sister. She believes that this is cursed it's only for one day, not knowing the ramifications. And Ida doesn't want to fight her sister. So she forfeits. She says, you know, covens aren't my thing. You want this more, you take it. Before the curse kicks in and she turns into the owl lady for the first time. And Lilith has to Lilith has lived with this guilt for years. Knowing that she was the one to put the curse on her sister. It is her fault that she is a criminal. And, you know, it starts with them fighting. You know, she, she fights it, you know. And she just blurts it out. It was so easy to curse you. And then everything stops. And, like, sister or no sister, Ida goes for blood. And Luz starts, like, I'm going to... Granted, this is still a TVY7 show that aired on a basic cable channel. But all but said, I'm going to kill Lilith for what she did to Ida. Oh, yeah. Luz has no chill about it. <laughs> How could you do that to your own sister? You should be up there. You should be the one in, in chains. You should be the one getting punished. And Lilith agrees. It should be me. It's my fault. So eventually, Lilith does capture Ida after she turns into the Owl Lady, after their big wizard duel. And with her last bit of self, she even says, you know, I'm going to go away for a little while because the more she uses her magic, the worse the curse gets. Yeah, she still has a little bit of her brain left, though. Um, whenever there's something that reminds her of her true self, when it's the, when Ida is finally captured and Lilith tells the Emperor, you know, you promised you'd, you'd, you'd heal her. I brought her to you. Please lift the curse from her. And then the Emperor goes back on it. Oh, I never planned on removing the curse from her. She's far too dangerous to be left alive. She gets the worst punishment of the worst criminals on, on the island. And she is petrified. She is turned to stone. Which, once turned to stone, there's no way back. Realizing. Realizing. There's just that big moment. Realizing that she's essentially sentenced her sister to death is where she, she goes against the emperor t 
to get loose, to get her into position to to save her sister. And it's a great. I mean, I I I, I don't want to really go spoil it for someone who hasn't seen it because it's it's a great two parter. I feel like I'm giving away too much. Yeah. But. Although I will say that the the bit about like oh Lilith is the one who cursed Ida like that was kind of the biggest non twist twist ever. Especially when after they show young young Lilith with glasses, and you see the person that cursed her wears glasses, you can put two and two together. Once they introduce, like, oh, my sister is a villain, and they introduce, like, oh, I have no idea who cursed me. It's like, eh, oh, could it be, like, your sister who's a villain? Like, I I absolutely love, like, let's, let's talk about the episode where we really find out about Lilith, though, because they go to the convention, the coven convention. Yeah. And I just got to say, I absolutely adored that convention parts of that episode. <laughs> you see all the, the the vendors of each of each uh, of each coven, and they kind of some of them have like really really punny names. And there's even a cinnamon bun stand. Yeah, but I I just love King throughout that episode because he was like. Somebody says to him earlier, like, well, if you're a king, shouldn't people be giving you tribute or whatever? And then they take him along to the convention and he's wandering around and the covens are giving out, like, swag. (laughs) And he's like, yes, give me more tribute. Give me more tribute. And there's like he goes to every single coven coven stand just to get the swag because he needs he needs offerings because he is the king. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then like the baker's coven keeps giving out cupcakes. I love that it's called the baker's coven. It's so good. They the I have to say that the the background signs in this series are just the best. Every single if somebody's wearing like a t-shirt or if there's a coffee mug or if there's a wanted poster in the background, or like all the little background stuff, the names of businesses that the background artists put so much work into this show and bless them for it because it is so hilarious to just freeze frame this show and read all the nonsense that is in the background. Yeah. The thing that I I like is that there are little shout outs to various things and I also love Anytime, and they do this in basically every episode, especially if they're at Hexside, where they just have to rag on Harry Potter. And those are my favorite things. Like the sports episode. Oh my goodness, that Grudgeby episode, which, by the way, whoever came up with the name Grudgeby, 
I love you forever. Please marry me. Like, <laughs> that is the best sports name ever, is that their magical sport is called Grudgeby. And that it is the most ridiculous magical sport ever. Because they just get out there and Willow is explaining the sport to lose. And she's just like, you know, here's the field and it just looks like a normal sport playing field, you know. And it's like grass and it's got painted lines on it. And there's like two goals at the end. And she's like, you've got to get this ball through one of those goals, and the other team tries to stop you. And Luz is like, oh, that seems pretty normal. And then Willow's like, yeah, and she throws the ball out onto the field, and the field itself opens up with, like, teeth and traps and stuff, and, like, yeah. tries to eat the ball. And Luz is like, oh, yeah, no, that would happen here, yeah. I kind of wish that they didn't give the sport a name, because when we first see it, uh, Gus is giving lose a tour of the school and says, here's where we watch sport. And then a random thing happens and then a goal hit hits and then, yay! I kind of wish it had stayed like that. Like, it's just called sport. Something random happens to it, people clap, and it's never explained to the audience. Well, yeah, but I also kind of like that there is only one sport on the, the island. Mm-hmm. Which is always kind of my my joke as an American that I love that British people are always trying to teach us that there are multiple types of maths, which I can get behind, mm-hmm. but that there is only one sport. Like, <laughs> like, if you watch British news, which I do, it's like... You know, and now today's news in sport. And I'm like, which one? <laughs> There's like 7,000 sports. Pick a sport and tell me which sport you're going to report on. It's not the news in sport. It's the news in sports because there are never ending sports. And I know this because they're always on my TV messing up my shows. <laughs> so I just love that on this island there is apparently one sport which seems like the more proper British use of the word sport um, so yeah and, and I do love like Luz is trying to make this you know, I don't know sports but I know sports movies <laughs> yeah and so the whole thing is like and then they do the montage bit and then at one point, Gus is like, wait, during the montage, were we having, like, a tea party in Animal Jammies? And she's like, what happens in the montage stays in the montage. <laughs> like, Oh, Gus, you innocent <laughs> bean. Um, but my favorite part is that they go through the whole thing against, you know, they're playing the, they're the playing Grudgeby against the mean girls for, like, you know, Willow's pride or whatever, but... They do the thing, and then they do the the whole, like, sports movie ending, and it's, like, one point difference, and it's like, yay, we made the final point, we won the game, and then all of a sudden the board shoots up to, like, a thousand points in the other team's direction, and they're like, what? It's like, oh, we caught the golden what's-it-doodle, and it's like, what? And they're like, oh yeah, if you catch the golden what's-it-doodle, you just, you know, win the whole game no matter what else happens. It loses like, 
that's stupid. Why would anybody do anything for the rest of the game other than just go around and try to catch that thing? It completely invalidates everything else you did during the game. Like, yeah, that is the <laughs> ultimate dig at Harry Potter. Yeah, and I was like, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> like... Why would you care about anything else if there's a magic F you, we just won the game, you know, Deus Ex, you know, whatever, yeah, you know, like, okay, yes, thank you, this is the dumbest thing. This is just the, I want my character to win, and I've written myself into a corner, what do we do? Oh, yeah, he caught the golden what's-it-doodle, you know, like... <laughs> oh I, I was like oh Luz I love you so much thank you thank you for channeling my rage <laughs> oh so yeah I laughed so hard at that point in the episode I was like I, I need to stop this and just go like hyperventilate into a bag for a bit with how much that made me laugh the craziest thing about me it, uh, and, and i know and i texted you this after i saw the episode is like there is an there is an episode that references a show that i never thought would get referenced in a disney channel cartoon because there's a writing contest that both lose and king enter king wins the writing contest his book gets published and there's like a little advertisement said purchase Purchase this reading material I wrote. Purchase this meeting reading material I wrote, which is a straight up reference to the critic episode. Buy my Buy book. My book. Buy, Buy my, my book. book. Yes, I love it. I loved it so much. I was like, oh, this is so good. Yeah, I know. I didn't expect that one either. I was like, oh wow. But yeah, you and I are both down for a critic reference because we both love that show so much. I mean, it did air. I mean, I don't know who owns it right now. It's it probably Disney actually now. Disney owns it right now because it aired on Fox. True. <laughs> that was a Fox show, so it's probably owned by Disney now. <laughs> um, critic critic references will always make the two of us laugh the hardest. Like there are these weird references that you would never expect in a freaking Disney Channel kids cartoon. Yeah, they get away with so much stuff in this, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is this is kind of weird, specific, just-for-me kind of references. <laughs> like, it's like when we said with Clone Wars, like, this is a kid's show? <laughs> yeah, the, um, the, funny, the funny thing about it is, like, the fact that Ida can just like dismember parts of her body at random yeah. is also a little I wouldn't have expected on a Disney Channel show um, but she's constantly just like taking off one of her hands and using it as a book stand you know like I think the first episode she, they, they cut her head off and it's like you saw my head come off earlier it's fine <laughs> yeah um, but you know, at various points, she's just like, you know, Luz is like, oh, you know, give me a hand. It's just like a hand will just fly in the frame, you know, like, um, but, uh, at one point, Luz, like, brings Ida a glove, and she's like, I found your glove. 
and also your hand. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> um, but can we talk about some of the actual downright stuff that you know we've talked about before on the the show? Things that gave us nightmares as kids. And some of this stuff, I'm like, kids watching this today are probably going to grow up with nightmares about some of this stuff. Like, the Bad Queen is a sleep paralysis demon, and I will hear nothing else of it. Okay, yeah. And she's also voiced by Isabella Rossellini, which, that was a get. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, the Bat Queen is kind of awesome. And then finding out how the Bat Queen started was kind of I hope that at some point in the show they tell whose palisman she was I mean it's yeah I don't, I don't even want to guess because I'm going to get it because they're going to be Owl, Owl House fan to say no that's not how it goes yeah 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 I, I don't want to make any guesses either I have a few theories in my head but I don't want to make a guess but I hope that they do tell us um but the um like, I love so her, many... and I love her babies. Yeah. <laughs> so adorable. Uh, but I, I was going to talk about the um, detention. Oh, yeah. Because even as an adult, I was like, oh, I'm going to have nightmares about that tonight. Like, because right. detention for this school is like a literal dungeon. And then... There's a demon or something in there that grabs the kids and puts them in, like, body snatchers type pods. And convinces them to be good students. Yeah, it's a brainwashing system that convinces them to be good students. And Gus got put in it for a short period of time before, or no, uh, not Gus, but one of the other kids. His, right? Gus, Gus's little rival. <laughs> yeah, Gus's little rival for the president of the Human Appreciate Appreciation the Club. Yeah. Um, but we see one kid come out of it after just a, like a minute or two in there. And when he came out of it, he was like, I will be a good student. I will be a good... Like, I mean, he was totally out of it. And we see kids that have been in there for who knows how long. And... It's absolutely terrifying. It's also a little terrifying that Luz and Gus are like, you know, nobody gets left behind, and then they only save that one kid. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, so apparently nobody is the kid we know the name of. Kids with lines only. Yeah. <laughs> SAG after members only. Everybody else gets left behind. <laughs> <laughs> It's not very solidarity of you guys. The thing is, though, is that that is one of the more terrifying aspects of the school. They also have their own version of Dementors that start roaming the school at one point, which yeah. are they can smell trouble. And they will immediately take you to detention if they smell that you're going to start trouble. So it's sort of like a pre-crime thing. Yeah, especially Luce, who has been banned from the school. But this is before she starts for causing a, causing mayhem the first time. 
and then uh, Gus brings her in because he 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 wants to prove that he has an actual expert on human things to the Human Appreciation Society. And since she's banned and in the school, she's automatically trouble. Yeah, which is how they end up in detention. But it's it's very much a, a pre-crime kind of idea, mm-hmm. you know. It's if you like, even uh, think about doing something bad, they will they will come after you. Yeah. Yeah, we do we do find out later that there are other nonconformist kids that have escaped into the walls of the school. There's like a different sort of detention. Because the first one got wrecked by Luce. Yeah. And that one is more traditionally what we would think of as detention in the real world where they kind of have to sit there and write phrases and you know be looked over by a teacher who drew the short straw and would rather just nap or you know play video games or whatever but it's a year-long detention like you are not allowed to learn any magic in this detention yeah um but the teacher keeps falling asleep so they sneak into the walls and they've discovered a series of portal doors to the rest of the school if only there the was walls. if only there was some sort of map that could tell you all of these secret doors some sort of marauder something yeah yeah but those students have learned that by being put in detention they actually get they're actually free of the system because they can sneak around the school and listen into all of the different classes and take whatever magic they want. So they've actually been learning more magic than uh, any of the other students than any of the other students because they're not locked into one magic track anymore. And so instead of being the worst students in school, they're the best students in school because they really want to learn magic. And they were only put into detention because they were trying to learn more than one magic track. I do like how one of them says, I think I like school a little too much. Yeah. And that was their crime was that they wanted to learn more than one type of magic. And that was forbidden. Um, And so. That that was their is is that that was literally their crime was liking school too much, um, and, and then they end up saving the school from a magic devourer, which, and as reward, the principal actually allows them to be in more than one magic track at one time. Yay, multiclassing in a very <laughs> literal sense, um, and he allows Luz to take. All the tracks, so she gets the uniform of many colors, which I actually like. Like mm-hmm. that'd be a great cosplay. I kind of want to do that. <laughs> um, and you already so, have the hair. Well, yeah. I mean, I have short hair, but her her hair isn't really the same color as mine. It, but, it, it is in the when in the in the carnival episode. She passes by the one funhouse mirror that makes it look anime. Oh, yeah, yeah. When she has the anime hair, she does kind of have my hair, yeah. Um, the, uh, 
the thing is though is that her uh from then on, you know, she's able to just take whatever classes she wants from any track, which is kind of cool because we do see like all the various kind of uh, tracks that they have. Um, so it's really fascinating to to watch, but it is another, you know, all of these things are things about breaking conformity and breaking out against these authoritarian systems which the irony of this show being canceled because it didn't conform to what they wanted the network to be yeah um and especially because it's so much about wanting knowledge and especially about queer people specifically wanting knowledge. Knowledge that is forbidden to them. At a time when that is coming up so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it ended up being a, a little too uncomfortably prescient. <laughs> um, but, you know, we get to that that point where you find out that the emperor really wants the owl lady less because he hates that she's not conforming and more because she's the one with the key to the door to the human world. And she, uh, the emperor straight up tells lose. If you think I want to go to the human world and conquer it, I don't think that's small. Yeah, at the end of season one, we still do not know exactly what the Emperor is planning. All we know is that it is not good. And it involves entering the human world. Or at least having a door to the human world. And we see that once Luz returns to the human world, when she's fighting Lilith, that her magic no longer works. Yeah, Lilith seems to be able to use her magic because her staff still works. But Luz is not able to use glyph magic uh, back in the human world. Um, There is a small problem that I do not like. There is a moment during the fight with Lilith where Ida is about to be petrified and turned into a statue for the glory of the Emperor to prove, you know, conformity works, yay. And Ida, in her kind of last moment of lucidity, gives the key to lose and she's like look I'm sorry I got you into all this hey I escaped this fate for a long time finally caught up with me oh well but you need to get out of here you should have never been pulled into this go home and destroy the door and destroy the door because if he wants the door he can't have it you know whatever it is is bad lose doesn't want to leave but it's like okay he wants the door whatever 
And Lilith gets there before she can go through the door. They fall through the door and they're back in the human world for a second. Luce has that moment of, do I run back into the magic world? Cause Lilith is like, no, I'm, I just want to help Ida. Like Lilith has that moment of like, I just want to help my sister. I'm not actually trying to kill her. And Luce has that choice. Cause she knows if she goes back in that door, she's not coming back. Yeah. And then she says, I'm sorry, mom. Yeah. But here's, here's that. Here's the thing for me. Like, okay. She has that moment. And you know that she's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss my mom. All right. But she's looking around like wistful at the trees and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, the human world's got some stuff that's kind of cool, you know? Like, I like Fruity Pebbles and stuff, but, like, literally you're a powerful witch on the other side of that door. Like, every single fantasy series seems to do this, and I don't know why. Like, I can understand missing people. And I can understand occasionally going like, oh, man, I really miss, like, my favorite food or something. Mm -hmm. Or my favorite show. (laughs) Or my favorite TV show or whatever. But, like, or, like, I miss puppies or something. You know, like, okay, I can understand saying that, but it's like, why in every single one of these fantasy world things do does a person end up in a place where they are arguably better off? And then there's always a moment where they end up back in the crappy-ass real world, and they're like, oh, I'm so wistful for the crappy-ass real world. Do I want to go back to the cool, awesome place where I have magical powers, or do I want to stay in the crappy-ass real world and eat cereal and watch cartoons? Like, I like cereal. I like cartoons. I'm sitting here doing a podcast about cartoons, which I did eat cereal while watching. But if on the other side of that door was a magical world where I got to cast fire spells like bad guys, I'm going to the magical world where I can cast fire spells of bad guys. I do not know why this is a choice. Would I, would I miss my friends? Sure. You guys are cool. But if on the other side of that door is a magical world where I get to cast fire spells and bad guys, bye! You're never seeing me again. And that's right at the first episode. Like, right at the end of the first episode, Ida gives her the show, gives her the choice. I brought you here, I'm gonna take you home, go through the door and go home. And Ida, and Lou says, no. I finally find somewhere where I feel like I belong. I'm going to stay here. Well, but at the time, she's, like, uh, having fun time at summer camp or whatever. Like, I literally think she was, like, I'm going to stay here for a while and be at summer camp where I can do magic. And she brings that up again in the school episode where she's put in detention and saying, well, you can try again next year. Well, next year I'll be back in the human world. Honestly, she's lived there long enough that other than a few problems, one of which, like I said, I've watched like two or three episodes into season two, and 
Edith says something about, like, there's not a lot of stuff that a human stomach can digest here. So she has, like, a limited diet and stuff. Like, it's not that there aren't drawbacks to being there for a human. But they don't seem to be, like, insurmountable drawbacks. Other than the authoritarian government that is trying to, you know, put you in the conformatorium all the time. You know? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, let's be honest, probably going to happen here within the next couple of months. So, like, really, you know, fire magic at bad guys or real world. Yeah. I, and I just, I don't know. It's like, I understand that they're trying to, to like, add some pathos and whatever but it's like okay yes you miss your mom I understand that that is a legitimate emotional point which we have been talking about mm -hmm. but it didn't look like she had any friends it didn't really look like she had any other things to go back to it's like Mom was kind of it. That was like her one grounding point in real world. But on the Boiling Isles, it's like lots of friends, community, you know, like that is her actual life. <laughs> so I just, I hate to say it, and and yes, she goes she goes back and she makes the choice and stuff and all, but that is a thing I think we've gotta stop making out to be such a difficult, horrific choice or whatever. I think it's also a situation of the symbol the symbolism of growing up, that at some point you have to put the fantasy behind you and then live in the real world, which even that is BS because we've seen people our own age or older that still are into the fantasy stuff. But the thing is, is that I'm going to, I'm going to put it this way. It's not a fantasy. If all of a sudden it pulled back and it's just Luz is standing in the middle of a field being like, I'll save you, Owl Lady. And, you know, she's made like a, a sculpture out of feathers or whatever. Then, yeah, she's living in a fantasy world. But in the context of the show, this is a real place. Okay? These are real creatures, real beings, real sentient thing. you know? So it's no less real than the human world. They even say that in the first episode that the world of the Boiling Isles and this portal between it is why the human world has tales of witches and demons and all that other kind of stuff. Giraffes. <laughs> yeah, giraffes. Um, is that all of that stuff came from either people finding their way onto the Boiling Isles and then going home with fantastical stories or 
creatures from the boiling aisles wandering through the door and then going back to the boiling aisles. It is a real place. It's just not a place that's easily accessible. Mm-hmm. It's you can't be like, oh, well, she's living a fantasy or whatever, because it, it, in the context of the show, it's an actual place. It's like, well, you know, you can't just move to Bermuda or whatever. It's like, well, you can. You know, <laughs> it's like it's a real place. <laughs> so I want them to say, like, yes, there are things that you you have to give up. You know, it's like in a story where it's like, well, you know, I've moved from one place to another place on the earth. Yes, you might miss certain things about the place that you moved from when you move to, but it's it's a choice. You know, you always give up something to go somewhere else. And you can have, like, wistfulness or, like, you know, oh, I'm sorry, or, oh, I'll write you, or, oh, I hope I see you again. But you've always got to make that choice for your own self and where you think you're going to be better and where you think you're going to be able to do the most good. And I just hate when they do that in these kind of quote-unquote fantasy stories. Mm -hmm. because it's like well i found out this other place exists and i actually do fit in better there but you know the other place is the quote-unquote real world it's like no it's not any more real than the place you were just at you know and i'm sick of it being a, a metaphor for like growing up or what it's like so I I kind of hate that they even did that moment because I think the point of the show is like the the same queer idea of found family that most queer people have to deal with like so many queer people you know their actual family doesn't really get them and so they have to go find a queer family that does i don't think it's an accident that when luz ends up on the boiling aisles pretty much everybody she ends up befriending is some form of lgbt you know because that's kind of what ends up happening to a lot of us is that we end up finding that community and suddenly you're like wait is everybody i know some form of queer you know um and it's because it's just kind of how it happens is that most of your friend group are also weirdos who were trying to find their place (laughs) and that's what happens to lose is that most of her friend groups were weirdos who were trying to find their place um and that's not to knock Luz's mom um because i don't think Luz's mom is a bad character in any way that is the start of her journey is that she feels like her mom didn't understand her 
And her, mom, what, her mom was literally going to send her to conversion camp. I, I think I've heard it. It got better, and that her her mom is like technically a very accepting character. You know, over the course of the show. Um, but in season one, we see her mom for one episode at the beginning for like five minutes, and then we never see her again except in text messages. And she texts him saying, I love receiving your letters. So she's getting letters from somebody. Yeah. Granted, yeah yes, this is gonna get an and uh, uh this is gonna get answered in season two. I have not seen season two yet. Yeah, and even what couple episodes I have, I do not know who is sending letters, so that's still a mystery. Dum dum dum. We might come back to this and just do an episode on season two. Yeah, you know, finish up season two and three, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I I just this this has this has been uh, really interesting because it's like there is that that bit of you know you you go they do the you know they go back you know Luz goes back and ends up having that great moment with the the emperor where she's like all right you want you want the door i want the owl lady let's make a trade and the emperor's like all right and he's like but you know you're you're going to lose and she's like it doesn't matter if uh, he's like you know you're not going to win she's like i don't have to win we just both have to lose and you see the glyphs right on her. She put the glyphs on the, uh, on the door and it burns it. And it's like the sacrifice play. Yeah, I mean, technically he did get the door for a second. And we do see at the right before the end credits that he's rebuilding the door. The The thing is, though, is that we also see Lilith make the sacrifice play. Because they're able to break the little petrification thing before it turns Ida to stone. So she's okay from that sense, but she's still cursed. She's stuck in the Owl Lady form. Yeah, and Lilith does a spell that we saw in a flashback that she did when they were kids... Which is that she can share Ida's pain by transferring the wound to herself. And she does that and diminishes the curse so that Lilith it is curses also them both. Yeah. But it also erases their magic. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't erase it fully, but it definitely takes them down to very very little strength and so now neither of them really have the the ability to to use magic to any real degree so you know and now Lilith has has made herself the emperor's enemy yeah she's a criminal now too it is really really interesting how they kind of 
play that for the the sisters reuniting, you know? Yeah. That you find out that Lilith really does love Ida. And that it was just her desire to be a part of a prestigious coven that caused her to make a lot of really bad choices. Mm -hmm. Once again, collaborators never prosper. Mm. So uh, Lilith learns that the extremely hard way. Mm -hmm. It is such a well-written storyline, at least through the first season. And it leaves a lot of questions open that make you keep want, wanting to watch. <laughs> um, at least me. Uh, and all of the characters are interesting. Including a lot of the background characters we didn't even have time to get to. Yeah. Um, Amity's parents are horrific and fascinating as are her brother and sister yeah we didn't even get into the library episode where they talk Luz into helping to steal Amity's diary which is just uh, some sort of evil yeah they want the diary so they can humiliate her in the school because they believe their sister needs to be taken down a peg yeah I mean what an awful family yeah um you know all of the the side characters at the school that you see come in and out. Those characters that you meet in the conformatorium in the first episode keep coming back at various points. I mean, one even becomes King's biggest fan after he wins the writing competition. Yeah. Um, Can you read my story? <laughs> yeah. The one, the one that, the one that keeps writing fanfic about vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we really haven't really talked about Gus. Granted, yeah, I mean, Gus doesn't have a lot of character development in the show, at least in the first season. Yeah, in the first season. I hear he gets, like, way more as the show goes on. But in the first season, he's kind of just the sidekick that's really into human things, but always gets it wrong. You know, it's very much a joke on, like, Ariel in The Little Mermaid, you know, yeah. this is a dingle hopper and it's used to, you know, comb your hair or whatever, you know. Um, it's it's that kind of thing. And Luz either goes along with it because it makes her laugh or gently corrects him because he's using things dangerously or something, you know. He's generally well-meaning, but, you know, his dad is the local newsman and uh he worries about getting in trouble and you know mm -hmm. there is a there's a funny moment here where cuz uh Gus is uh uses illusion magic and he uses illusion magic to cut class but it's, it's like you know if if you're with me then who's in who's in class with you oh that's my illusion he's taking notes for me and then the illusion turns around saying i'm not taking notes and then Gus kind of does the slit throat motion at him kind of threatening him yeah. I will end you if you don't do what I do. So uh, kind of showing that Gus has a bit of a dark side. Yeah. Um, but I also love like how into uh, cheering on the sports team 
Gus is, but he, really just so he can wave his flags. Yeah. You know, like which he's becomes a running joke. He, 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 he's completely out of the out of the game once his flag breaks. He, he has flags. These flags are hooked up to uh, to Ivy's. Yeah. Uh, it's super adorable, you know, the the friendship between the three of them. And I mean, we haven't even gotten to the episode where King gets jealous of that friendship. Yeah, and King tries to like shrink Willow and Gus down so they'll be eaten by creatures in the little sideshow yeah, and the yeah, he, like, he wants he wants to lose it all to himself. It's really you know, there's some cute side moments that just don't really feed into the, the main plot, you know. But they're nice character moments. The but character- they are good character moments. I never felt while I was watching the first season that anything was wasted time. Yeah, there's, I mean, granted, most people will refer to these as filler, but I don't think there's a single filler episode in here. Because everything feeds into something else. Yeah, and even the stuff that you think is filler kind of comes back later as major either, points, yeah yeah either in a big way or a small it's nothing seems forgotten um which is kind of what what makes the show so hard to talk about when you're trying to sell other people on it you know yeah um but honestly i was i was easily sold on this by the end of the first episode if for some reason you've been listening to this and you haven't watched it yet, honestly, just watch the first episode. And if you're not sold by the end of the first episode, then probably not the show for you. But I can't imagine how anybody would not be sold on it by the end of the first episode. It just, I was immediately hooked. Yeah, it's and, 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 it's, and it's an easy watch. I mean... These are 22-minute episodes, but they go by really fast. Yeah, it's it's a super easy binge, and it it doesn't overstay its welcome in that way. Like, none of the episodes felt like a slog. It kind of, the pacing is very good, and it keeps, you know, the story keeps going along in a way that makes you constantly engaged Mm -hmm. so um i always felt like i i wanted to be watching it some of the stuff we watch for this it's like oh my goodness get over this already or like oh you needed an editor for that i never felt like that watching the owl house and in fact like like you said we ended up watching more for this than we intended to we were just gonna cover loose and amity that, that was all we were going to plan to cover, but we got so into this show, we, we have to talk about all of season one. Yeah, we were like, okay, no, screw it. We're watching all of season one. This is too good. <laughs> um, so, yeah. No. Uh, let, let's ask the question, even though I think we've already answered it. Kiki, does the Owl House have the magic? Yes. Duh, yes. Glyph magic, natural magic, all of the magic. Absolutely. Definitely has the magic. In more ways than one. This is definitely worth the watch. I understand. Owl House fans, I understand. 
We grok you now. Yes. Yes. We're sorry it took us so long. I understand why you want this show back. I understand. I get it. I want it back, and I've only seen the first season. Yeah, I'm. Uh, we're we're. I think both of us are are at the point where like we're definitely finishing the rest of this series now. We, I, I definitely want to do an episode on season two and season three at some point later on. But yeah, like, I, and I'm so mad that there's no merchandise for this. Uh, yeah, I immediately was like, must must have King Plushy. Must have like seventeen different mugs that I've seen Ida use during this. You would totally rock the over thirty and flirty mug. Well, actually, the one that I want is she has in one early episode, and it says like number one bad girl or something. Like I really want that <laughs> mug. Like that's that's the mug I want. Or um, the one that King uses, world's greatest me. Yeah, that one. That one I might get for for someone else. But uh, yeah, that was that's a good mug. But yeah, it's like. It, uh, I kind of want to go on Etsy and see what people have come up with the show because they, you know, they there's there's a million people on Etsy who are making Owl, Owl House merchandise because Disney didn't. Yeah, um, I that's probably going to be the thing that I uh, that I do after after we finish recording is probably just spend a night on Etsy looking at random stuff. All right, so yeah, definitely highly recommend the Owl House. I'm sorry it took us this long. I understand. I understand all of your your worries and your complaints and your concerns. I get it, but I'm still going to say that it should have been Loose and Willow. Yeah, I, that might change as we go through the series, but as of season one, uh, Loose Loose and Willow. Yeah. So let's move on to next week. Kiki, there's a new Indiana Jones movie coming out, and they say that this is the last one. So we're going to go back to the first time they said this is going to be the last Indiana Jones movie. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yay! <laughs> it's time to punch some Nazis, everybody. So come back this week for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and we'll talk to you all next time. Bye! Bye! Happy Pride! Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Podcasts are fun. But there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at ACLU.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. Or find a way to help in your area. Is that uh, good or do, you, or do you want to do a third round? I think we can do, a, do, do that and you can piece it together from the two. All right, that sounds good. Let's...
Let's stop the recording.